I used to sit in the preschool in tears. People say to me all the time, you're a parenting expert because you've got six kids. And I'm like, well, no, I know plenty of people with lots of kids and they're not parenting experts at all. <laughs> doesn't matter which school they go to as long as they're being well supported at home because I will not be camping out <laughs> to get them into the out of area or the fancy private schools. From the news desk to the nursery, Mom! this is the Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. This is our time, parents, our time to voice our opinion uninterrupted, or at least uninterrupted by children. We can interrupt each other um, to hear each other and discuss and or debate the issues of the week. Our topics today are, are voice-activated devices like Google Home a good thing to get kids off screens, or are they another distraction that will lead to underdeveloped children? What would you bring back from your pre social media pre-smartphone life to improve your own family's well-being? Should you be happy if your child is a liar, given that apparently makes them smarter and the silliest things you were afraid of as a child? Joining me this week are parents Georgie Dent. She's a journalist with Fairfax and Seamus Byrne from Science Alert. Georgie, Seamus, welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Good morning. And just to start, um, I like to find out about your families. So Georgie, tell us about your kids. So I have got three daughters. Um, Our eldest is seven and a half. Our middle is five and a little bit, and then our baby actually turns two tomorrow. Wow. Um, So, yeah, and actually they all conform quite neatly to the stereotypical first child, middle child. (laughs) (laughs) Ticking all those boxes. (laughs) Brilliant. Seamus, what about you? Uh, So my uh, son just turned 12, uh, so that's all been very exciting. And then uh, my daughter is nine, and... They're actually sort of, you know, by stereotypes, I guess, there's almost a bit of a gender flip there in that our son is incredibly compassionate and caring and loves birds and super just, you know, really kind of delightful, pleasant boy. Uh, and our daughter is the real kind of firebrand, runs everything, wants to be, you know, in charge and just constantly kind of corralling other kids to make up stories and run games. Um, so they're a great pair. Oh, brilliant. Okay, well, in just a moment, we're going to be talking about Google Home. Is it a yay or nay? I want the world, I want the whole world, I want to lock it all up in my pocket, it's my bar of chocolate, give it to me now. So Veruca Salt is my go-to when it comes to children who are over-entitled, including my own kids. What are you, Veruca Salt? Um, And then she just looks at me blankly. But um, in terms of these home assistant devices, which are are sort of being touted as a way of getting kids off screen, screen, some people are arguing that maybe one of the downsides could be that children are just given too much too soon. Plus, apparently, they don't have to say please and thank you, which uh, is a concern for some people. Um, Jordan Lee Willock sorry, wrote about this experience that he had with Common Sense Media and it was like he was really excited to have it in his home and then he started hearing his two-year-old ask questions and then he went, hold on a minute, is this a good thing? Um, so I am curious to know what you guys think of it and Seamus, I know this is a particular area right of in interest wheelhouse. to you. <laughs> yes. What, what do you think? Is, is it a good thing to have voice activated devices in your home instead of a screen that we go to? Yeah. And now look, honestly, I actually haven't installed any of these yet. I've been definitely thinking about it, but I, like my first reaction is very much one where I think this feels like a classic, let's get worried about something new, you know, just for the sake of finding the reasons why it might 
be a bad thing. But I, I actually think, you know, it, it's a pretty positive thing for them to start to perhaps be a bit more self-reliant in the way that they try to solve problems and ask questions, not just, you know, those classic just household problems, but starting to, if they have just a cool thought pop into their head that they have a way to actually solve it. You know, we don't all necessarily have Encyclopedia Britannica on shelves anymore <laughs> like when I was a kid. Um, but, you know, this is kind of that nice way and, and that they have lots of kind of other clever tools as well that they do have, like little trivia games and things that can be triggered with with voice commands. So it feels to me like um, we might be worrying a little bit too much. If, if anything, my main worry is more the the privacy questions of you know of then Google using this these searches essentially as a pool of data that they then target ads with later but you know but mm. in the basic sense I think it's probably not a terrible thing. Georgie, what do you think? Look, in this realm, I have to say I feel like my kids are slightly advantaged by the fact that their parents are both technologically illiterate. So <laughs> the chances of us successfully installing one of these devices is is very slim. <laughs> I, um, I mean, we really honestly have only just got Netflix um, and even still we can't connect it to our TV so we just watch it on our laptops. Like that, that's, the, <laughs> that's our skill level. Um, I think from a practical perspective, I can see how this stuff would be so useful because as anyone who's ever home with little kids, you know, I think about the times that I've been you know, I mean, I'm not breastfeeding anymore, but when I was breastfeeding, you've got a toddler running around and you need to, you know, message someone or call someone or look up the recipe for tonight's dinner or, you know, call the GP because you need to make the appointment. I think all of those sorts of things that you can do without actually having to find your device and physically be mm. attached to it. I think the benefits there are huge. That's really interesting. I never even thought of that. That is the, that to me is where I see the value in it. I mean, unfortunately, I'm so terrible at technology that it won't actually happen. Uh, <laughs> but I can see that. And I think uh, I agree with Seamus in that I, I think that there is that natural reaction to, oh, my goodness, this is new. It must be terrible. And I think you, I don't think we can probably say that technology has absolutely improved every aspect of our life. And I think it would be naive to say that there aren't downsides that come with these things. But I think with something like this, it's probably too early to be jumping to the conclusion that it's either a terrible thing or a brilliant thing for our kids. I want to know if it works like Siri, because at the moment I, I don't use the voice-activated Siri very well. It's mm. normally when I call out to my colleague and go, hey, Cinnamon, and Siri goes, yeah, how can I help you? And I'm like, I don't want you. I yep. want that person over there. How does it work in the house, Seamus, do you know? Um, yeah, look, there are essentially these little kind of speaker units, and they can just play music as well. So you can kind of call out to it and ask it to just play music for you, and it'll start playing. So you can kind of think of it as a smart speaker device. Um, but it is that thing. It has a little microphone that's that's just always listening for that trigger command, you know, to, to start actually properly listening. Uh, so, you know, it is kind of a clever system. And, and I think once people really get into it, they often have a few around the house. Um, though apparently they're pretty good at long range, so you don't have to have lots. But, it you know, it's just that idea of going, oh, well, we've got one in the kitchen and one in the living room, you know, and then it's sort of that unified sort of a setup. But, I mean, with things like Siri, though, I, it's hilarious that my kids actually, we watched a video recently that was looking at how accurate the different services are, Amazon's Alexa versus Google Home versus Siri. And the video showed that the Google system is apparently the most accurate so far. But my my daughter actually said, um, like, but 
that's that'd be disappointing because the best part about Siri is how often she gets it wrong, and it's just <laughs> it's like it's just funny. And uh, you know, where would the jokes go if it was getting it right all the time? So literally, she's like, I like the comedy value rather than the actual solving yes. problems. That's brilliant. My um my our middle daughter loves talking to Siri, just having a chat to her. And I think for us, if we had one of the uh, smart speakers, that would be a real um. You know, Lulu is forever asking, hi, Siri, do you remember me? Where do you live? What is your job? Remember me? And I feel like it would be quite hilarious, potentially actually quite useful as a distraction tool for her. She would be having conversations all the time with Alexa, potentially. I love it. We're getting new applications for this every minute. I'm Siobhan Hunt. You're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation, where we invite two parents into the studio to get their thoughts on the stories and events of the week. Today, I'm George by, joined by Georgie Dent. She's a journalist with Fairfax and Seamus Byrne from Science Alert. Next, we're going wild. I normally talk about how the people in the studio dance to these songs, but you guys are quite still. It's it's our 80s hair in the control box that's dancing around. <laughs> that's Elise has 80s hair this morning. Okay, so the question is, could you switch off from the modern world completely? Mark Boyle is a writer and I would say, in my definition, a hardcore greenie. He's currently living without technology. It was for a year, but it seems like it's ongoing. And this week in The Guardian, he wrote about how he thinks we all need to rewild ourselves. And part of his argument is about living um, sort of a simpler life and keeping alive traditions and ways of living that existed before technology. So my example of this um, is that I'd love to have a TV with only four channels because not only when the kids are in bed and I've got like an hour before I want to go to sleep and we're going through all the Netflix things and I can't decide because I've binge watched everything I wanted to watch. When we only had four channels, we could, we all had to watch the same program Magnum PI on a Saturday night. (laughs) (laughs) And then the TV would go off because there was nothing else to watch. And so I'm interested for our guests, looking back, what would you bring back now into your family life that you had growing up? So, Georgie, I'll start with you. Look, I think this is probably more for me than our kids because our kids don't have phones yet. But I probably wish that my smartphone had only accessibility during particular hours. I I just don't think, you know, it pains me to say it, but I don't think that having access to my smartphone all through the night is useful. Not that I, you know, stay up late at night, but it's it's just that thing when, when my husband and I do watch TV. I mean, I try to increasingly leave my phone in the bedroom if we're watching something on the couch because I just find it's so it's addictive and and it's this habit and I think that whenever I make a conscious effort to distance myself between my phone and I in times when I don't need it I actually feel so much better I sleep better when I you know if I plug it in on the other side of the room and read a book and fall asleep that way I sleep so mm. much better than scrolling scrolling would, would you go back I don't know why I just have this really nostalgic feeling for the cord phones you know when you used to say and you used to have to 
turn the yes. dial. I know I'm dating myself here. And you here, would buy but... the like wall mounted, like you get the extra long cord so you could so, walk yes, around. I know. Or walk into your room. A friend of mine, her dad got so cross with her being on the phone for so long, he cut. The phone cord. It was legendary. (laughs) Well, actually, last week, one of um, my middle daughter is in kindergarten, and one of the girls for for news brought in one of those phones. (laughs) And it was, you know, on last Friday afternoon, there were a few of us standing around chatting, and it was just, the kids were fascinated by it, you know, picking it up, swirling the numbers. And I was looking at it thinking, to them, this looks like something from ancient, ancient history. And, you know, I recall a time when that was our the only telephone that was in the house. Mm. My wife just told me a story the other day where my uh, she was showing some old pictures uh, that we you know that she'd had of herself from when she was a little kid, um, and and you know and just like who do you think this is? And she was like oh, I'm not sure. And then uh, you know finally said actually that's you know that's me. And apparently my daughter said that's isn't that lovely that they did have cameras around when you were little. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she's skating on thin ice there. Well, Seamus, you've had recent experience, more or less, of yeah, doing a, without yeah. technology. My wife and I shut off, uh, well, you know, not full shut off, but we, we basically didn't use social media all through February just to see what the f- it felt like. But it wasn't so much completely going cold turkey as just saying, let's just, if there's a specific reason to use it, to contact somebody, to check something, then we'll use it. But just that that mindless scrolling. We're like, mm. we will not just scroll for mm. the sake of scrolling. Mm. Uh, and that was really, really helpful. It did, you know, I think I think for most people, it's a, just a great thing to try to find those ways to just, just remove yourself a step. You know, you don't have to try to swear it off, but just take that step back and then think about how am I feeling? How's it changing things? Like you're saying with, with the phones in the bedroom as well, we, off the back of that, we said, let's just, uh, we move the charges out of the bedroom so that at nighttime, we don't have the phones in the room at all. Mm. And, it, and it means as well, that means first thing in the morning, it's not that instant reach over and grab the phone and, and start worrying about all the ills of the world instantly. So that was a big shift. Yeah. And is, is there anything that you would bring back from your childhood? Yeah, look, uh, the, the big one for me, actually, I feel like would be getting rid of the streaming services and going back to the video shop. And taking the kids where, okay, we're going to watch a movie tonight. We'll drive to the video shop. And then you just do laps trying to think of what are we going to pick. Hoping that there's something behind the new release that you wanted to borrow. Oh, no. (laughs) There's no copies of it left. (laughs) But, yeah, I think that was such a – even, yeah, there were times for me as a kid where I'd go with my friends as a teenager and we'd just spend two hours walking around. We might end up going – couldn't couldn't think of anything to watch, but we had a nice time just just and thinking about air what hockey. to watch. They often had air hockey in the <laughs> video easy. I think also the thing when I think back to that experience, Seamus, is that it actually was sort of a family event yeah. in the sense that when you went to the video shop together, you were sort of all deciding, and you would you know physically drive to the video the shop, negotiations, negotiate, involved. and then you'd choose something, and then you'd come home and you'd all sit and watch it, and it wasn't sort of a I mean, even things like pausing and rewinding was so painful yeah. that you couldn't, you didn't really do that the way now. It's it's all on our time, you know. If we, if you want to stop, and it, look, in some ways that's brilliant, but in other ways, I think you do lose out a little bit on the sort of community aspect of participating in an event together. There's also, I think, a very real kind of question of just just that commitment to a choice that we can you can bail on a movie in five minutes now if you decide I'm not feeling it and then you can just quit because you know you have a thousand other options whereas that was that case of going okay even if it's bad 
you'll watch it. <laughs> yeah. And, but then, yeah, maybe you'll find out that, oh, you know what? The last 20 minutes was amazing. You know, we got yep. there in the end and it was good. <laughs> or it was good bad. Yeah, exactly. You know, like yeah, which it was kind of bad? bad. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, and I think maybe that's probably why cinemas will still survive. Because when I think about it, obviously the experience that is closest to that for my kids is when we do actually go to the movies. Yeah. And I mean, in that instance, I know people do walk out of movies, but you would rarely do it. I wouldn't ever be able to bail with the kids because once you've committed to the movie that you're there yeah. for the popcorn, for the watching. My son um, did once try to give me the 3D glasses about 10 minutes into one of the only 3D movies we've ever gone to. He's like, I've had enough of these now. And I'm like, sorry, mate, you're not going to be able to see the movie if you don't leave those on. <laughs> oh, don't like, start okay, me on okay. 3D films. <laughs> Such a waste. Anyway, you're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation. I'm Siobhan Hunt. My guests today are Georgie Dent. She's a journalist with Fairfax. And Seamus Byrne from Science Alert. In a moment, are lying children something parents need to embrace? I got no strings, so I have fun. I'm not tied up to anyone. They got strings, but you can see. An article in the New York Times has outlined how children who lie have a high IQ, that they are actually more intelligent than their honest peers. And I really don't know what to do with this information because I was brought up to be honest to a fault. I don't know why I'm saying this on national radio, but I can't lie about anything. Like if you ask me a question, please don't guys, <laughs> I will have to answer honestly. And I've lived my whole life thinking that is the morally right way to behave. So what does this kind of information mean for adults? Um, Georgie, what do you think about this idea that lying is actually a sign of intelligence in our kids? Look, when I read this, I wasn't on one level, I wasn't surprised because I think that, I mean, I would, I would say like you, I'm a very honest person. It's, it's the way I was brought up. But I also, if I'm honest, there are situations where I recognize that perhaps it'll be being kinder is perhaps nicer. So you might, you know, in, white instead lie. of white lies. And I mm. think I feel like when I read this, if for kids, I understand why they, why they lie, you know, and I mean, I've got younger kids, so it's not, we're not talking sort of major crimes that are occurring, but I know when they, when they, you know, if they've done something wrong and they're in front of their sister and I call them on it, they're not going to want to, I, I get that. They're probably not going to tell me the whole truth in that situation. And I think in some ways that's them calculating, you know, they want to save face for a variety of reasons. And I think that it would be, I, I guess I don't expect my kids not to lie, not at this young age. And I think the tricky thing that I find is how I can then, in those situations where I know they're not telling me the truth, how can I manage that in a way that doesn't terrify them, but also does make it clear that actually being honest, particularly with at home with you know my husband and I, that that's really important and something that we have to do. Has that happened to you, Seamus? Because I, when you were saying that, Georgie, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's been so many times that I've been standing in front of my kids and my daughter's like this pushed a brother over and I said, you can't push him over like that. And she goes, I didn't. <laughs> Has that happened to you? I mean, what do, you, yes. what do yes. you do in that situation where you, we could have a fight for half an hour about the fact that you obviously did, mm. but then I think you're gaslighting me and I'm going insane that yeah. I didn't actually see you do it. Yeah, look, sometimes uh, an angle that we've taken is to to literally just give them a second go at answering a question and kind of saying, now... You know, we'll give you another chance to answer that question and 
you know, it, it, there's no problem if the answer changes, you know, is this the thing that happened? And it kind of gives them that moment, I think, you know, like, I think there's absolutely something clever and calculating about making that decision to kind of go for the lie, to avoid kind of certain kinds of conflict and punishment. So, yeah, it's, it's that giving them the opportunity to then put in that extra thought and going, they already know, don't they? Like, all right, well, maybe <laughs> maybe this is the best option is to just come clean and work it out from there. So, yeah, I think that's one. The other one my wife and I are big on is saying is to sometimes basically accept the fact that they've lied because we, we like, it's no big deal, mm. but there's an element of going, you know what, like, we don't want to teach them to be even better liars. Ah, good so, point. So it's like, let's let them stick to the really obvious lies mm. that we can deal with because then we'll always know. Whereas, yeah, we don't want to train them up in their skills of mm, how do I make but them But according more to this yeah. article, if you help train them up, they might end up being a genius. Well, so, yeah, that's true. Look, but look, see, at what cost? You know, because <laughs> there's sociopaths who are geniuses and I think yes, you've got to sort of that. assess. I mean, I just don't know. I mean, as a parent, I don't necessarily think being the smartest or having the highest IQ is the absolute best outcome for an individual. And there's part of what you were saying, Georgie, before about when they're trying to save face. There are times, like in that instance where she's pushed her brother over, that I, I think if I keep calling her on this, I'm actually shaming her. And that feels, even mm. though I know lying isn't right, I feel mm. like shaming her is more damaging. Well, I think that's the thing I find with parenting. It's you are constantly making decisions and you're making them on the fly, yeah. particularly with smaller kids. Yeah, you're making it in the moment and you've kind of got to weigh up what's happening. I mean, our middle daughter does that sort of thing quite often where she will blatantly, you know, push someone over, usually one of her sisters. And when we call her on it, she's like, I definitely didn't do that. And then she'll say, I might, I might have done that. Yeah, I think you might have because I saw it and your sister is on the floor with a big mark on her forehead and she's crying. So all signs are leading to the fact that you did it. Uh, but I also think, you know, so again, our middle daughter who has just started kindergarten, at their primary school, if you're really naughty, you have to go on the silver seat. And it's always been something we've talked about. Neither of our girls that are at school have been on it. But she actually said to me last night, um, if, if I ever got on the silver seat, would you be really, really mad? And I thought I had to say to her no, because I think I don't want her to be terrified of making mistakes or, and or terrified of telling us when something bad happens, because... I mean, you have to expect our kids are going to make mistakes. I still make mistakes all the time. I mean, I don't push people over. Definitely not. Uh, but you don't strike me as that kind of person, No, but I do. I mean, we make mistakes and I think it's kind of getting to the heart of making your kids comfortable with being able to tell you when they have made a mistake or when they have got in trouble. Yeah, what I, found, it, I found like the, the the whole in the article, the promise, getting them to like, you know, pledge not to lie. I'm like, that actually feels like a big leap because it's like it's like asking someone to promise to do something that they're probably going to, to do again in future, you know. And it's yeah. like, again, are we setting them up to fail and to, to know that, oh, I broke another promise or I you know did something kind of the wrong way. I shouldn't have done it. It's like, that feels like a, a stretch. And it, what about... You lying? Have you? I mean, we've talked about how honest we are, but those little white lies that sometimes you feel mm. are necessary, particularly when children are young and maybe don't understand the full situation. Um, my problem is with the not being able to lie thing. Is that I end up telling the truth that they don't understand, and then they get even more confused. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever lied and then been caught out in that lie and gone, "Oh God, what do I do now?" Oh, yes, unfortunately, this happened to me recently. 
and I would again put this under the white lie category. Our eldest daughter is very conscientious, always wants to know what's happened, when when it's happened. Have you emailed my teacher? What did she say? When did you email her? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And on a Friday, she's allowed to get a tuck shop order from the canteen, and it's an online system. And two weeks ago, she sort of asked me at seven a.m. Oh, have you done my order? And I said yes, even though I hadn't, because I was like, I will do it. I haven't done it right now. I don't know if you can see this, but I'm in the middle of getting your breakfast and your two-year-old sister's breakfast and trying to get you all dressed. Anyway, I forgot to place the order. (laughs) And I didn't remember until it was just before three o'clock when I was arriving to school to pick them up. And I thought, oh, dear God, I didn't order it. And so that was... You know, quite mortifying. And I thought the worst thing is she asked me and yeah. I told her yes. And she was actually fine about it. It happened to, it happened on a really good day because she got the trophy in her class that day. So she was in a really good mood oh. when I picked her up. Thank goodness. And she's actually quite a, she is actually quite a resilient little person. She wasn't sort of in a big flap about it, but she did say, mummy, you told me that you did order it. <laughs> I said, yes, I did say that, but I was, I was saying it because I was, anyway, I had to be honest with her. Has that ever happened to you, Seamus? Um, not being specifically caught out, but we do try to talk about lies. In, like, truth is bent horribly in society these days, right? The political class does it all the time, bloviating media commentators, you know, all that sort of stuff where, where you know, you can say they're lying in, in a really basic... If, you know, if your kids said the same kinds of things that they say, you would say, well, that's a lie, you know. Instead, we talk about it being, oh, well, they're just, you know, telling their side, etc. Alternative facts. So I feel like... You Fake know, news. Yeah, it seems like it's more that discussion about sort of, you know, the tools of communication rather than just the whole straight-up lying, not lying thing. And that hopefully that that's... That's hopefully the lesson for them ultimately is that, you know, a lot of people twist the truth in horrible ways. So you both need to be able to hear it and think about it for yourself as well as use that tool when it when you need it. Mm, such an interesting topic. Mm. But we are going to end on a rather lighter note. So our final topic today in just a minute is what were you afraid of as a child? You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt. Ah, childhood fears. Iron Maiden probably caused a few of them themselves, <laughs> but um, sometimes they can seem pretty irrational and hilarious when you look back at them. So some folk from Twitter have taken to share their taken on to online to share their funny childhood fears. And we also asked our Kindling audience for some of theirs, and this is what they said. Susan said, I was given a couple of porcelain dolls, which totally freaked me out with their shiny, starey eyes at night. I used to cover them with blankets, hide them behind other toys, and eventually hid them all at the top of my wardrobe, where they could never eyeball me with their evil eyes again. <laughs> and Eliza, unfortunately, I can't po- show everyone the picture, but she posted an image from the labyrinth with the little um, little puppets, and she said a picture of these puppets from the movie. Um, she uh, and the reason they scared her, she wrote, was that they ate their own eyes, which is pretty damn <laughs> scary. Georgie, do you have a, a fear from childhood? That uh, I do. I had two. I was terrified that robbers were going to break in and kidnap me and my sister. The terrible thing is, 
my sister was so kind it meant she always offered to sleep by the window and in hindsight I feel terrible because in effect I was sort of saying well you can get kidnapped as long as I get you first I'm okay but I just had this irrational fear and then the other thing is my uncle is a solicitor in Glen Innes a very small town and I was terrified of going to their house because I thought being a lawyer meant that he had criminals sort of in his vicinity. I mean, I obviously oh. wasn't particularly aware that he does just mostly estates law, you know, it's, but I was terrified of that. Do you know, neither of those seem that ridiculous, actually. They seem, <laughs> they seem really frightening. Uh, what about you, Seamus? Yes, um, you know, I'm from an Irish family, and so growing up, like, they just have the most horrific ghost stories. <laughs> And it really did mean growing up there were like banshee stories and, you know, we'd go back to Ireland and, and we'd be driving down the street and my grandfather would be like, oh, you know, and that's the gate where like the devil appeared to such and such down the road. And, you know, and, and if you go past at night time, the lights go out on your car and, you know, like, and it's just, oh, it's just matter of fact type stuff. And you're like, wait, like, they're all just cool with this, you know, almost in the way that when we talk about, oh, yeah, there's spiders and snakes in Australia, you just have to deal with it. They're like, oh, yeah, ghosts and devils everywhere, you know. And that just used to freak me out all the time to the point where I actually ended up really kind of pursuing studying that stuff for a while and like ran a club at uni where we went ghost hunting and everything. So now I firmly wow. don't believe in ghosts, by the way. I feel like I've I've had a good look. <laughs> <laughs> what about your kids? Do they have any um, fears that you're sort of going, because uh, I know my son, he calls great whites point sharks, which I find <laughs> adorable. Yeah, that is cute. But when he's scared at night of point sharks lying in his bed kilometers away from the ocean i'm like honey one day you're gonna understand <laughs> yeah uh my our middle daughter i feel like i'm talking about her all the time is terrified of bears and she you know it's just quite a useful fear to have when you live in australia mm. but she is she thinks because people in america live in a country with bears that everyone in america is very brave <laughs> you know, because how could you even live there when that is? I don't know how this one came about, but she talks about it often. It's interesting how isn't terrifying it? Where bears are. From Seamus, do your kids have any? Yeah, I think so. I think particularly my son is big on avoiding jump scares of any kind. And but I think the weird one was the fact that he used to love kind of fish and fish tanks and things. Now he's, he gets really concerned about them, and and we finally worked out that it's because of axolotls. That that somebody had one in a fish tank one day and he was just looking around the fish and suddenly he sees, you know, this weird little salamander creature Very and was like, whoa, what is this? And it freaked him out. And then for years afterwards, he would just, anytime he'd see a fish tank, like if we walk past a pet shop or anything, he'd just be, he'd either be averting his eyes, kind of looking the other way or, or he'd sort of, you know, have to very carefully edge his way and try not to get too close. And finally, after years of like, what happened to him with fish? that we finally saw another fish tank with an axolotl and he really kind of reared up again. We're like, okay, look, that's what it is. Okay, come on, let's have another look. You know, and tried to give him that little bit of help, but oh, it wow. was so weird for so long because he wouldn't say what it was. That's bizarre, isn't, isn't it? it? Well, guys, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your childhood fears, neither of which I think were that silly, let's be honest. They're pretty <laughs> real fears there. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks very much yeah, for having us. That was Georgie Dent. She's a journalist with Fairfax and Seamus Byrne from Science Alert. You've been listening to The Parent Panel, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to leave a review and share it with your friends. The Parent Panel, new episodes every Friday.